apologize. I'm not a very loud speaker. I'll do my best. Um, our text for this morning is Philippians chapter 4, a very familiar passage. Philippians 4, uh, verses 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Uh, Brother Gary asked me to speak today on the issue of despondency and despair in the life of a believer. I don't see the picture up there, but it's, it's a very fitting illustration from a great work by Mr. John Bunyan called The Pilgrim's Progress, if any of you are familiar with it. Um, the text that I chose came as a result of Gary's having ministered to me in some very dark periods in my life, from the book of Philippians in, in particular, which he, I remember you referring to as the psychology book of the Bible. Um, I will say that... There is a lot of encouraging words in the book of Philippians I've found. Um, For our purposes this morning, I would like to focus on a difficult subject of the rod of the Lord's correction in the afflictions of a child of God in seasons of darkness and doubt and the distemper which often attends it and how to be encouraged in it. So discussions about human psychology and the place of doctors and medications, though they are important, they are outside the scope of this sermon. And I would say in good faith to anyone who may be having thoughts of harming themselves, Harrington Hospital is that way. I can't recommend that strongly enough. Please seek medical help. It's a matter of prudence. And there is nothing prudent or particularly spiritual about foregoing medical attention when it is necessary and available. So, that being said, to be able to speak any word of encouragement and exhortation to others who may be in such a state, who are Christians, 
I have to f emphasize that and focus on that. Um, this is very dear to my heart, and this is a very great privilege, and especially from this pulpit as, as a lay person. And I pray that I would speak only what is necessary and true and helpful to the downcast, if there are any here. Two things that struck me concerning the opening verse, to rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I say rejoice, it had to do with the audience to whom Paul was writing and the place from which Paul was writing. The community of Philippi, interestingly, was comprised largely of retired Roman soldiers. They had some idea of what it meant to bear arms, to fight with sword and shield. And for the Christian, we know that when we become a Christian, we enter a war zone, a lifetime of warfare, not with carnal weapons, but with spiritual weapons. And you can find examples of that in Second Corinthians chapter 10, 3 through 5, and Ephesians 6, 10 through 17. They knew what it was to persevere through pain and discomfort, and perhaps most importantly, to obey orders and to move as a unit. Personally, the fact that nowhere in this letter does the apostle rebuke or verbally chastise them, as he does, for example, the church in Corinth, comforts my soul, not in that there isn't anything in me that needs rebuking, but that it reminds me of the Lord's mercy towards me and towards all who are in him. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 33 says, For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. It is not God's delight to see his children miserable, downcast because of their indwelling sin. As it says in Psalm 103, he will not always chide nor keep his anger forever. And also that beautiful passage from the Psalms quoted by Paul in Romans, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. He puts away our sin in the death of his son from his sight, and he remembers it no more. The Lord is not looking on us with a frown, poised to smite us with the rod at every point of failure. He himself who, who commanded us to be patient and kind is himself patient and kind. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. This the Philippians would have understood, whose names are in the book of life. And they understood it as Paul encouraged them to continue doing as a unit in full accord and of one mind. That's Chapter 2, verse 2. As to their common salvation, and not as those merely who seek their own interests, as they earnestly contend for the faith and persevere in faith despite intense opposition. As to the second consideration, the place from which Paul was writing, that is a prison cell, most likely in Rome, not long before his execution, a prisoner for the Lord's sake, and in chains for the sake of the gospel. From these quarters and circumstances, which were probably less than accommodating, 
and facing the prospect of impending death, he issued the command to those Philippian soldiers in Christ and to us, by extension, to rejoice in the Lord always, to be anxious for nothing, to let all of our requests be made known to God, and to think on things which are true and honorable and just and pure and lovely. And that as a result of so doing, the peace of God would fortify and strengthen our hearts and minds against all anxieties and discouragements which we are prone to experience in this fallen world, wherein we dwell as strangers, pilgrims, and exiles. Now I would like to consider, there's the picture, another kind of prison cell in which a believer may find himself. Here you see Christian and hopeful being led away by giant despair to Doubting Castle. It is in the dungeon of Doubting Castle to which the characters Christian and hopeful are taken by giant despair, the groundskeeper of Bypath Meadow. In this case, their imprisonment comes as a result of Christian's desire for a more pleasant path than the rough and difficult way of the road that leads to the celestial city. To all appearances, an alternate way is available to travel upon without the difficulties corresponding to the weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities Paul refers to in 2 Corinthians 12.10. The way seems easier. It seems pleasant pasture and leads to the celestial city all the same, or so they think. What they do not see is far up ahead the paths diverge, the rough path leading directly on towards the celestial city and the pleasant path leading around in a circuit back to the point at which they began. They cannot see the divergence of the paths by reason of a great stone wall bisecting the two, which I understand to be man's inability to walk two paths at once, or the idea that he can immediately change paths at any point he pleases once he has begun his journey. At this point in the story, Christian and Hopeful enter by Path Meadow through what is called a stile, which is a kind of gate or opening in the wall with a small stone staircase. After a time, the pilgrims find that their course has brought them far out of the way, and before long they are caught in a fierce thunderstorm and are forced to find shelter. In their tired, weak, and vulnerable state, They are caught and taken captive by giant despair, who was, among other illustrations in the book, uh, an allegorical picture of Satan, the accuser. He's a great ogre who never relents in his taunting and berating and threatening of the two travelers. He drags them to Doubting Castle and casts them into the dungeon where they are provided with all the implements necessary to take their own lives and they are continually instructed to do so. When we consider the the worldly sorrow and the vain regrets and the shame that we experience as a result of sin in our lives, 
we become as an, an earlier picture in the story of Christian, the man in the cage crying, no hope, no hope, wailing. And here at this point in the story, he finds himself actually in that cage, in that prison, as a result of his folly, of his disobedience. It is here that the pilgrims, and especially Christian, begin to despair of life for having left the king's highway, turning aside from the true path leading to the celestial city. In this state, they are far from walking in obedience to the apostles' command to rejoice in the Lord always. As the days pass, they descend the staircase leading from discouragement and regret over their failure down into the sub-basement of the darkness of atheism, questioning whether God is present at all or has altogether abandoned them. There in the valley of the shadow of death, the dark night of the soul, a trackless waste, a dry and weary land where there is no water. They have forgotten the promises of God, which in Bunyan's story are the keys that will release them from their captivity. Two of these promises, both of which are preceded by commands, are actually the same promise stated as the inverse of the other or in our text. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. To the Christian who prays, peace is promised, and not just any kind of peace, but the peace of God. We remember the words of the Lord Jesus to his disciples, whose hearts were troubled at his going away. Peace I I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And that's John 14, verse 27. It is a peace that surpasses all understanding. Difficult circumstances, hard providences, yes, even our own failures, which cannot be comprehended. For an example of that, see Romans 7, verse 15. And Paul says, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. All of these are transcended by fervent prayer, by casting our cares upon the Lord, because he cares for us, First Peter 5.7. And they are eclipsed by the brightness and benevolence of his countenance, shining upon his redeemed, even in spite of their imperfections in this world side of eternity. It is shown here that it is possible to give thanks in our prayers, not for everything that happens, but in everything, so that in everything, every possible circumstance and situation, we may have that supernatural peace that is impervious to anxiety and its attendant malady, depression of spirit. The inverse of the promise given by Paul in connection with those commands to rejoice, forbear, and pray always is that the God of peace will be with you. It is one thing for the force to be with you, and you can substitute in the modern secular mind a concept of luck or fate or chance or something impersonal like the life force, an ancient pagan concept pantheistic concept. It is another thing 
For the God of peace, the infinite personal God who created the universe, upholds all of it by the word of his power, who will crush Satan under your feet and sanctify you completely and keep your whole spirit, soul, and body blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to be with you. In verse 5, we are told, the Lord is at hand, most likely referring to the return of King Jesus in space and time to tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty against his enemies and ours. Included among these enemies are every occasion of stumbling, every cause for despair and unrest, every false accusation, even death itself. On a personal note, as I wrote this, the accusations that came, nobody cares, you shouldn't either. Who's going to listen to you? I think we're all familiar with this voice, every one of us, and can guess who's his name, to quote the Rolling Stones. Uh, in his righteous judgment and war, he makes peace. And he himself is our peace, who has destroyed the wall of hostility, barring our access to the inner courts of the temple, bringing us near to God by his blood. In these two promises are contained, in essence, all the promises of God. And these, like a master key, were in possession of our prisoners in the dungeon of the castle. Yet, just as their initial turning out of the way came as a result of looking inward rather than Zionward, of imitating the world and seeking the easy path that leads to ruin instead of the difficult way that leads to life, so too their failure to remember the promises which can set them free from giant despair comes as a result of introspection or focusing inwardly on their personal failures wrought by folly or laziness or cowardice. Indeed, they have failed, let there be no mistake. But what are they to do, and what are we to do if we have failed? What happens when a Christian falls out of rank, disregards commands, disobeys orders by neglect of the word, prayer, fellowship, or engages in activities and behaviors that are clearly sinful and bring reproach upon the name of Christ? and as a result finds themselves in a state of despondency, dejection, and doubting the promises of God towards his children, believing themselves to be none of his. Truly, there is a time and place to examine yourself, to see whether you are in the faith. And the Apostle Peter commands us to give all diligence to confirm our calling and election. It's not a light thing. However, it is not our purpose here to discuss evidence of salvation, for the purpose of this sermon, we assume that the man or woman in question in the despairing state to be a true child of God who loves the Lord, his word, his people, and his cause, but has come to the place in their walk where it is all but impossible for them to rejoice in the Lord. It is important to remember that the Lord will rebuke and chasten those whom he loves. It's Revelation 3.19. And often this will take the form great mental distress, anguish of mind, and depression of spirit. I emphasize the word often here, 
for the sake of highlighting the obvious truth that there is not always a direct correlation between our individual specific sins and everything bad that happens in our lives and the depressed state of mind that follows. Job is the best example of this. And I make this disclaimer, lest I be found siding with his friends who were found to be ignorant and self-righteous. The prophet Jeremiah, amidst the ruins of Jerusalem, laments, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. Lamentations 3, 1 through 3. The Lord's anger is a righteous anger. Therefore, David could pray, O Lord, rebuke, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. Psalm 6 and 38. This is a strong rebuke to those who insist that God is too gentlemanly to inflict any pain or discomfort upon his own children. He does so, and it is that his children be conformed to the image of the Son of God. Hebrews 12.10 He disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. Furthermore, there is a kind of suffering not attended by shame, a suffering which is according to God's will, for which a believer may glorify God, which causes us to consider, as those disciplined by the Lord, if judgment begins at the household of God, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? First Peter 5.17 Returning to Christian and hopeful in the dungeon, we begin to see at the very point at which the enemy seeks to destroy them by threatening and accusing and calling their sins to mind, it is here that light finally dawns. It is here where Christian's true companion, whose name is Hopeful, begins to remind him of those things which are true and honorable and just and pure, concerning the character of God, his faithfulness and willingness to lift up those who are downcast, weighed down by their burden of sin, and doubting the Lord's love toward them because of it. It is here where they remember that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit and is near to all those who call upon him in sincerity, including those wayward, languishing souls who feel as though there is no hope, but know and trust that in spite of their feelings and their failings, there truly is hope. Listen to these hard words by Puritan writer Richard Sibbs. There are those who go on in all ill courses of life on this pretense that it would be useless to go to Christ because their lives have been so bad. Whereas, as soon as we look to heaven, all encouragements are ready to meet us and draw us forward. Among others, there, there is one allurement, that Christ is ready to welcome us and lead us further. Consider Philippians 1.6. The good work that he has begun in you, he will continue, he will complete it. None are damned in the church but those that are determined to be, and by this he means self-determined, including those who persist in having hard thoughts of Christ 
that they may have some show of reason to fetch contentment from other things, as that unprofitable servant, Matthew 25, verse 30, who would needs take up the opinion that his master was a hard man, thereby to flatter himself in his unfruitful ways in not improving the talent which he had. The inner dialogue which says, I'll never change, things will never be different, God hates me, there is no hope, God can never forgive me, etc. This is the language of fatalism, not of faith. In it is contained the subtle rejection of grace that is offered in Christ to every sinner. It is one thing to feel helpless. It is another to reject help when it is offered. The language of faith, even from the place of helplessness, dejectedness, and despair, determines, nevertheless, though I have fallen, though I have gone out of the way a hundred No, even a hundred thousand times, though I have fallen, I will yet arise. I will go to my master. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. Perhaps there are those here this morning who feel themselves to be prisoners in this dungeon like Christian pilgrim for any number of reasons, maybe through failure, through loss, through circumstances beyond your control. If you are a child of God, you have the key in your possession. There is a way of escape. How you arrived in the dungeon is of secondary importance. To quote the Good Shepherd, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. The Lord specializes in liberating captives of every sort, from bondage to the tyranny of sin and of Satan. Therefore, please be encouraged in this. The Lord says in Psalm 50, Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. This brother didn't copy that out of a book, I guarantee it. Those were his own reflections, and uh, this is why I invited him to come and speak this morning. Uh, He's gone through a lot of what he told you about himself. Um, and by God's grace, he was able to put something together like that. So hallelujah, praise the Lord. Glory be to God. Uh, it took some courage for him to do that, I know, but the Lord empowered you, brother. Thank you for the richness of all that you said this morning. Let me close in prayer, and then we'll have a final song, and uh, uh, let's give glory to God right now. Father, thank you for your... Uh, for your son. Thank you for your salvation that you provide to us. Lord, we thank you that you desire us now as redeemed people to be worshipers of yourself. And though, Lord, we may go through hard times and difficulties, and though, Lord, we get distressed, depressed, and we go through times, Lord, that we seem very out of tune with yourself. Thank you, Lord, that you give us hope. You give us assurance. Thank you that you send a brother, you send a sister, 
You give us a scripture, you give us a thought, and the Holy Spirit, the comforter, comes alongside of us so oftentimes. And for any Lord that may be in states like this, we pray that they would be encouraged, knowing that there is a place out of the dungeon that we even as Christians can find ourselves to get into. We praise you and thank you that you lift up the beggar out of the dunghill. You set us among princes that we may inherit the throne of glory. So, Lord, we rejoice this morning as worshipers of you that we can bring our praises and thanksgiving into your presence. Help us, Lord, to not go away without having received something, Lord, that we can offer to you in praise and something that we can take home with ourselves to, to consider. And for anyone, Lord, that is outside of the grace of God, any young child, any older one, Lord, that may not know you, we pray that your spirit may move in their life in a powerful way and bring them under conviction, Lord, and give them a yearning for you, Lord, that they would reach out and touch you, Lord, and find you and discover you by the mighty power of the spirit convicting and drawing them to yourself. Lord, hear our cry. We receive our praises and thanksgiving as we worship you this morning. In Jesus' precious and worthy name, amen. Forgiveness, vast and boundless. Christ, he is our living waters. Would you stand together as we close with the song that we started with today?
We were at uh, youth camp all week. If you want to stick around a little bit, there's a, a short video clip of uh, what took place during the week. You're not required to have to watch it, but if you got to get going, you can move towards the back. But those of you that would like to watch it, please do so. So anyway, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ bless your day today. Great to see you all. The Lord bless you. Yes, this is the moment you've waited for. You've been searching in the dark, your sweat soaking through the floor. And buried in your bones, there's an ache that you can't ignore. Taking your breath, stealing your mind, and all of what's real is left behind. Don't fight it, it's coming. strength within sorrow There is beauty in our tears And you meet us in our mourning With a love that casts out fear Yeah, you're working and are waiting You are working in our waiting You're sanctifying us When beyond our understanding You're teaching us to trust And sing his heart Your plan to stand and prosper You have not forgotten us You're with us in the fire
And let's say we take a pig, and we do the same thing for that pig. We put that pig in a dress, we put some lipstick on that pig, we, we, we spray some perfume on the pig, and we put the little girl and the pig beside one another, and we push both of them into the mud. What is going to happen? That little girl is going to get out of there as fast as she can. Why? Because it is not her nature to be in the mud. She's going to be uncomfortable in the mud. What is that pig going to do? In that beautiful dress, what's that pig going to do? That pig is just going to be as happy as a pig in swap because that is the nature of the pig to be in the mud. You take two people, a real Christian and a fake Christian. They're both going to fall into sin. We all sin. But what's going to happen to the real Christian? The real Christian is going to say, I am uncomfortable. I, 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 I am under conviction. I don't belong here. Oh, cleanse me, O oh Lord. See if there be any wicked way in me. And he will run to Jesus for cleansing. What is the fake Christian going to do? The fake Christian is going to say, I feel very much at home in this sin. I'm going to try to hide the fact that I am in this sin from others because I don't want them to think poorly of me. I'm going to try to fake my parents out and go alive to them, but I'm going to stay in this mud. You see?